Good morning, how are you? Very welcome to the show. Considering that uh, the powers that be keep trying to insinuate in various ways that we're not uh, that keen on, on boosters here or we're a little more hesitant, there's a booster mania uh, across a lot of the papers today. So they we remember our GP Shane Carr yesterday was saying, ignore Christmas, just keep getting on with boosting. And that seems to be uh, the plan now, according to the Sunday Times. So they're saying booster weight may be cut to beat uh, Omicron. And there was a certain amount of confusion yesterday about the over 40s Michal Lehan was reporting from the government end I think uh, were his sources that the over 40s would be uh, would would be moved ahead next then Paul Reid was saying Katie Hannon yesterday that oh well we don't know about that and we'll, we'll tell people if there's any plan so what they're saying here in this story is that plans were being developed for a big push to deliver boosters in the week between Christmas and the New Year when most 40-somethings will be on leave and have time to attend vaccination centres. And that, that same time will be important to vaccinating uh, that first cohort of 5 to 11-year-old children as well, underlying medical conditions or living with immunocompromised. Now, the Irish Mail on Sunday has a slightly different take on why uh, why this rush on uh, getting boosters out over Christmas. They're saying basically that we have 2 million Moderna jabs with a January uh, uh, best before date so that um, they just want to get them out fast and they keep going over Christmas and the new year to get those uh, done. So vaccine centres open Christmas Eve and over the the kind of Twixmas period, I suppose, between Christmas and the new year. The Sunday Independent has a, 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 a kind of a more medium term view on things and like uh, yeah after the deluge things are only going to get worse according to this the cabinet was secretly briefed on massive job losses so that basically when the employment wage subsidy scheme ends in April the, the cabinet was told that there could be uh, tens of thousands of jobs lost there is a moment of reckoning ahead of us one cabinet minister warns and then they have uh, as a sidebar there HSE urges CAM over vaccine HSE telling people uh, not to panic. Uh, they will get their they will get their uh, appointment or whatever. But I think it's slightly kind of making out that people are being irrational here and they're panicking, you know. But maybe people are just being rational. Uh, the Business Post has Minister launches review of national broadband contract. And look, there's a lot in that story, but it does look as if the people who uh, have the contract are doing very well out of it. And it also looks as if you'd wonder sometimes about who in government or in the state apparatus is any good at doing a deal and what kind of deals they make in, in a lot of these big situations. Um, the three tabloids have stories on their front pages about about men who kill their, their wives and children in one case. So the Sunday World is leading with Joe O'Reilly's bid for uh, Christmas leave rejected by prison chiefs. Um, the Sun is leading with uh, a story about Nadine Lott and her little girl. And, you know, you can only imagine how tra- traumatised that little girl is and the fear she lives in. And the Murr has a story about Frank McCann, who killed his wife and, and child. So there, that says something about, um, about the state of things in general, doesn't it? OK, our panel today, uh, Dr. Nina Burns from Generation Medical Health Centres, uh, Christina Finn, political correspondent with the Journal.ie, and Jim Power, independent economist. Good morning, everybody, and you're very welcome. And um, if we start maybe with that uh, booster situation, Jim, you had picked that story on the front of the Sunday Independent, HSE urges CAM over vaccine queues. 
Yeah, um, I think you, you, you alluded to there, Brennan, by, by saying that people are act- actually acting rationally. They're not panicking about this. Uh, there's huge confusion out there about what the real situation is in regard to the booster. Uh, we saw Michal Mart come out last week talking about the hundreds of thousands who weren't turning up for their appointments. Yeah, which he did um, kind of he, he did he, he, say he wasn't blaming people. And yeah, I think people he, he, took, took but, 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 but it is, I think, indicative of the system and the way they're all tied in together. Um, yesterday, we had the suggestion that the 40 to 49 year olds might be called over the coming week and I know there's uncertainty about that like everything else Uh, but I'm in the 50 to 59 group and I haven't got called yet and we were told weeks ago that group were about to be called. Yeah, well, um, have you gone and tried? To, well, no, we I, were. I'm no, getting they, that. The fifty to fifty nine year olds were only um, eligible from during the week. Now, in fairness, yeah, but I, I haven't got called. But three yeah. weeks ago, they made this announcement that they were about to be called. Um, and I know it's only come on stream in the last week, but yeah. I haven't been called yet. Have you endeavoured uh, to get one? Anywhere? I'm getting one off my pharmacy at quarter to one today. And, okay, and right, I, well, we'll keep it I, know, but, but I just, I just, I just wonder, Brendan, at, at yeah. this stage, will I get an appointment, presumably from the HSE, over the coming weeks? Because the pharmacies do not appear to be connected. Oh to no, the they HSE. are connected, but there seems to be a suggestion it takes. It can take. A, there yes. can be a lag before. Yeah, they, not, not connected they, properly. They, okay, they, they, so uh, it, it's. I think it's quite extraordinary that the whole system thing does not appear to be working. There's utter confusion. And um, I, I, I do believe people are behaving rationally. You know, people are confused. People have no idea, really. Um, I, I happened to call into my local pharmacist and said about three weeks ago and said, what's the story? And an appointment was made for me today. Yeah. Um, you know, so it's, it's this fear, it's this confusion. Um, but I, I think there is a huge hunger out there from people to get the booster as quickly as possible and I think the system has got to respond to that Yeah and I think, and look they would say the system is but responding the, the and they would say that we are I think we're fairly high up in, in the European league table in We terms are of boosters but, but the communication capita. exercise here uh, strikes yeah. me as being absolutely awful Nina, and creating you're, confusion you're presumably in the thick of this as a GP and, and God the texts were coming in yesterday from colleagues yours around the country doing 500 people in one day, 750, which is more than some of the walk-in vaccine centres were doing in their kind of three-hour stints, as far as I could see. Yeah, look, I mean, I, I totally agree. There's a huge appetite for vaccination. I'd almost argue I'm not in the front line. Medical receptionists everywhere are in the front line of this appetite. And yes. <laughs> what's happening with the lack of communication, and I, I do agree, I think the government, I, look, I think they're doing a good job. I'm not going to knock them too much. And I'm, Mike Ryan saying, you know, uh, speed has to trump perfection. And this always rings in my mind. But I do feel the communication piece could be a lot better. There was a text message sent out last week, unbeknownst to GPs, that listed listed GPs as one of the people doing age 60 to 69s. The phones in our surgeries were hopping for the next two hours with people saying, I want my appointment. And then some of them getting very kind of angry when they said, well, we're not actually doing the 60 to 69s. We were doing over 80s, over 70s and high risk cohorts. That's all we had been asked to do at that point. So I, I think... But, but some GPs ha- appear to have taken it upon themselves yeah, to just do anyone eligible they, in their They in their have, but actually, yeah. technically under our medical insurance, we've been sort of closely told that 
you know, we're only legally covered to vaccinate cohorts we're asked to do. That's actually the messaging that has come back every time from our insurance. So I think it's important that we are given clarity ourselves as to who we can do. Many of the people over 60 are in high-risk cohorts anyway, so it's very easy to include them in that group. But I think... I agree with Shane Core. I think what he said was don't call people up on based on age, call them up based on when their second dose was. That almost clarifies them according to age because a lot of people were vaccinated at the same time. So nearly everyone in their 40s is going to be five months out at the same time. Yeah. It makes the messaging easier. People who got Janssen then will get vaccinated their three or four months out. And I there, think... No, there are a lot of young people and we were all yeah. thrilled with them at the time yeah. who went and queued up and got that Janssen. Yeah. And okay, they might have been doing it to get on a flight somewhere yeah. or whatever, yeah. but at Fair the same enough. time we were very proud of them at the time and now I wonder are they being left kind of sitting there with very little protection and they are mixing more than most yeah we know that the likes of Janssen after three months wears out you know and um, or well wears down I should say but the thing is we need to get boosters into arms so the clearer we make the messaging the more simple we make the way of booking appointments and getting vaccinated the easier that's but going I suppose to be what is the simple way the simple way I personally I feel is look open up some kind of portal where we can book so people aren't queuing like GPs got rid of walk-in surgeries for the most part a long time ago and I, and I do think sometimes talking to GPs who are experts really and our and our nurses at setting up vaccination clinics and running them we do vaccines all the time we've done flu vaccines for years so basically walk-ins don't work ask any GP how stressful it was to look out the door and see your waiting room overflowing and how angry those patients get when they're waiting a long time so having some system where you can even they're doing it in shops virtual queues where you go online you book your slot and then at least you know when to show up you know how many doses are there and they're going yeah. to be done more smoothly and presumably also 80 or 90,000 appointments aren't wasted in one week either because yeah, the crazy, people have well, booked them that was will, crazy my daughter had Covid in September and she she works part time in the surgery so she got the AstraZeneca vaccine ages ago as an administrator so but she had Covid in September and they've been sending her multiple appointments she has rung the HSE and said I had Covid can she not COVID. just text back she couldn't COVID initially text yeah. back. So she kept text backing to defer it. And when she rang them, they couldn't see anywhere on the system that she had COVID. They then said they had entered it and it would be updated. She's still receiving appointments weekly and she just keeps deferring them. So those that go down as wasted or no shows. And, you know, I, what I don't understand is how they say there were wasted appointments when there were people queuing up outside the yeah. door. But, that but, makes but, no sense to but me. There, but there, on one hand, clearly there were slots wasted that people didn't turn up for. Well, on the other hand, there yeah. were people queuing. So it's, it's that. Yeah. So they, we need, they know yes, how many meet, doses they have to give. It's a meeting demand. Yeah. When yeah. they open a clinic in the morning, they know how many doses they have. They know how many they can give. They need to make sure every one of those shots goes into an arm. GPs have been doing yeah. that all year. Yeah, I, I yeah, think the point yeah. is that we, Christina. the HSE have that system in place in terms of booking. We've been booking PCR tests for, for how many months now that you just refresh, mm. find your appointment. The system is there in, in technical format. So why they don't seem to be able to roll it out as a booking system that you go, log on, you book your appointment and then you turn up given the time and, and the vaccination centre that you're being called to. But again, it is a case just of the confused messaging. I think, as you said, yes, we're the fourth, I think, in Europe in terms of booster rollout. It's something not to be knocked. Yeah. But I think you know, the priority here is obviously to, to get as many people as possible. And there does Do, seem to be the confusion about the, the accelerated rollout of that and who do you get the impression at all, Christina, from what you're hearing from political sources mm -hmm. that did the, the government essentially kind of 
tell the HSE at some point in the last 48 hours, you you need to move this along, we're going to 40s. Paul yeah. reads out saying, oh, well, I don't know about that yesterday. I think and he was, his, his the, choice The government words, seems to be back out saying, no, we are. Yeah, I was speaking to political sources during the week as early as uh, Wednesday reported that it could be even as under, it could be over 30s even being prioritised um, this month as basically they want to accelerate the booster programme as quickly as possible. As you said, the Daily Mail reporting there that they have a lot of Moderna vaccines they want to roll out. So there is a priority to get that age cohort brought in. I think Paul Reid, if you listen to him speaking to Katie Hannon yesterday, he was careful in his choice where it's saying publicly that has not, uh, we yeah, haven't been we communicated. Will, we, will. we will communicate yeah, that when yeah. we're ready to do so. But they have the systems in place ready to go. Yeah. I think people, the, um, the new variant, the concern there, the early evidence obviously is that yeah. it's it's still mild and everything, but they do obviously want to get that vaccine out as soon as possible. Jim. A, fr- a friend of mine was having a walk in UCD last Wednesday morning and was passing the vaccination clinic. It looked very quiet, went in, got his jab. Yeah, well, they were and, saying that and, and, and the, go during the week. Yeah, but the yeah. word got around, obviously, yeah. and the following morning there was total chaos on yeah. Friday morning. So... It's it's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And the I, think, other, I think we're back to Nina's yeah. point that it would seem sane that people book mm. that go online. And, yeah, and, and we're in a different, a different place with the pandemic now in terms of when the vaccine was being rolled out, we had little or nothing to be doing other than heading off to, to yeah. get a vaccine. Now people, things are open, people are back working, they're on holidays, they're getting texts to say you have a vaccine tomorrow and they might be abroad or, or something else. There, there yeah. are other aspects that are perhaps making delays in the system Nina, for this. can I ask you there, Christina mentioned that, that there was talk of over 30s as well. Is there an argument to be made that basically anyone who's going to be entitled to a booster at this stage, given that we have apparently unlimited supply, 2 million Modernas there, should anyone, is it over, anyone over 18 is going to be ultimately boosted? Should they just open it up to anyone who's entitled, let them go on, make an appointment, let them get onto their GP, go to their pharmacist? I think there's an argument to be made for that. Um, so I, I think we have, you know, we, I was right that we started with the really highest groups. So the over 80s, the over 70s, the cohort four and seven. Um, I think for the most part, a lot of those are vaccinated now. Certainly we have started moving on to the over 50s in our surgery. Um, so I think once we get the really high risk people done, there is an argument to have a slot where you can go on and book. But maybe, you know, maybe t- the way they did it over the summer was good. It was so if you were born this year, you can log on today and book yeah. your appointment. Yeah, and then move yeah. to the next year tomorrow and the next year tomorrow. Yeah. And that way then you, you had your day to book. If you didn't book and you're in that age group, they don't hold it for a week. Then the next person who wants it gets it. Yeah. And, and that could, worked really do, well this summer. Yeah. Yeah. Now yeah. the argument is the one thing I, I really need to say yeah. is GPs are contacting patients for appointments. Please do not contact your GP yeah. to book an appointment because many GPs are not going to continue rolling out boosters. It's just really hard to do as we go down the younger cohorts. Um, as Christine said, we have found the younger we go down when we contact people, the, they tend to have busier lives and they don't seem to be okay. as open to the idea of being told this is when the appointment is available. And it, it really, when it comes to boosters, there isn't any flexibility because when we open a vial, we have to use it. Yeah. So we can't say... We can do it Friday morning because that suits you because we're vaccinating on Tuesday and we can only vaccinate on Tuesday that week. And, and would you be up for doing children GPs? Um, I'm very reticent to take yeah. on the children personally because I think the volume of people it involves bringing into your surgery because you're going to have to have a consenting adult. Also children, sometimes it takes longer to 
get them to be vaccinated, it can be more stressful. I think schools are probably the best place or a mass vaccination centre to do children. Children, okay. we, we're very good at doing vaccines in schools. We've done the children's vaccines in schools. They have a system in place to do that and it probably is the most efficient, in my opinion, the most efficient place to give them. Okay. Will you put on your headphones, guys? Because I suppose, look, a lot of this uh, urgency about people wanting to get their boosters is because of... Um, the kind of uncertainty of, of what uh, what Omicron will mean for us. And we're joined now by Kingston Mills, Professor of Immunology at Trinity College Dublin. Good morning, Kingston. Good morning, Brendan. So, Kingston, I, I think uncertainty is is the key word here. Like, people are just, they're grabbing onto any piece of information they can around Omicron and wondering what is it going to mean for, for us. And obviously, I suppose it's limited what we know. But on one hand, we're looking at the UK where they seem to have gone into kind of panic stations talking about potentially 75,000 deaths, half a million hospitalizations in the Omicron wave in the worst case scenario. Then we're reading that in South Africa uh, over the last couple of days, it's actually leveled off a bit. Um, where where do you think it's at or wh- what, do you, what are we looking at here? I think it's very important not to make, you know, rash conclusions on the basis of what's happening in South Africa, because it's a very different scenario than what's happening in the UK or Ireland or Europe. In South Africa, the vaccine uptake, just the, the numbers the, 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 the have been very low. The, the rollout has resulted in maybe 20, 25 percent of people getting vaccinated. But on the other hand, between 60 and 80 percent of people have already been infected with some version of SARS-CoV-2. So there's a lot of natural immunity in the population. And that influences the severity of disease when someone gets infected with Omicron. So people can't extrapolate from that to a highly vaccinated population where the numbers of, of infections have been much smaller, such as in Ireland or the UK. So, so this notion that we, we like to, to have about mild infection, Kingston, you, you, Sorry? You, this notion we have about mild infection, you, you, you wouldn't be betting the house well, I think we don't yet. have the evidence to yeah. support it yet based on, I mean, we do know it suggests that in South Africa, if you've had infection with Delta, you're going to have a mild infection with Omicron because the immune response generated against Delta is, you know, having a substantial effect on preventing the very severe effects of, of the Omicron virus. But that doesn't say that the effects of the vaccine, and, and although early data now, just literally in the last two days that came out of the UK, is suggesting that if you had three doses of the vaccines, um, especially an mRNA vaccine after the AstraZeneca or after the mRNA, you will be pretty well, about 75% protected against symptomatic COVID, but with two doses, not the case. So going back to your conversation earlier about the boosters, it's, it, it, it just shows we just absolutely have to expedite the booster campaign in Ireland and give it, as you said, to everybody who's eligible and don't wait for five months. I mean, you know, this five months is, is um, there's some benefit in having a longer gap, but that's offset against the huge benefit of now vaccinating people that really need protection. Okay. Now, look, this is asking you to really uh, take a shot in the dark here. But in terms of can you can you speculate at all, informed speculation on, for example, when we might get the the so-called Omicron wave um, with the the intensity of it? Ivan Perry is talking in the business post today about 10,000 cases a day. Is there any way of knowing? Not really, but we can look at what's happening in the UK because they're a bit ahead of us. And there are now about 2,000 cases in the UK. There were 400 cases on Friday, 
three cases on Saturday. So you can see what's happening there. It's, it's analogous to what happened at the beginning of the Omicron outbreak in, in South Africa. So anticipated in the UK, in a matter of weeks, it will become the dominant variant in the UK by the end of December. Uh, this is a prediction now. I mean, mm-hmm. it, and it, it, that is very much dependent on what the vaccine does in terms of preventing it. That we still are not 100% okay. clear on. Okay. And if it happens in the UK, it's going to happen in Ireland. Okay, but possibly slightly more delayed in Ireland. So we're talking yeah. January, February here, are we for the... Uh, talking, for the I think we're talking January. Yeah. Um, but again, it very much depends on how efficient we are at um, containing the numbers of cases of Omicron that we've had. We've had a very small number so far. And if we could manage to contain those, we could, you know, avert the worst uh, effects of it. But the problem is that, you know, we're so linked to Northern Ireland, the UK with travel, that it's going to be very difficult if the, if the thing gets out of control in the UK to, to, to stop it. Because yeah. the dominant variant here. The only, you know, sort of the, the, the bright thing is that a lot of our, our very vulnerable population have had three doses of vaccine, so the hospitalization should not be high, hopefully. Okay. And if the ADH from South Africa is right, with infection translate to vaccines, we should also be in a good place, provided we get the boosters out quickly. Okay. And tell me, you, you mentioned there about, obviously, the border with Northern Ireland, and then I suppose a lot of people are thinking that Christmas, there's going to be a lot of travel here from the UK. Do you think this idea of um, taking five antigen tests for the five days when you come in from the UK and that you only isolate if you get a positive in one of them, is that sufficient? Or do you think if we want to hold this off and get more time for boosting, do we need to look at more restrictions on travel? I think uh, the, the the suggestions or the 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 idea of the five day um, five uh, antigen test is a very good one, but the problem with it is that it's 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 dependent on people complying with it. Mm. It's very difficult to enforce it, um, and so if everybody complies with it, um, it certainly would be a very effective measure at reducing the the further importation of cases. I, I pr- personally think that the the testing before departure where, where the airlines will not allow you to board as they did for you know a few weeks ago for travel to and from the US is a very effective way of, of ensuring that people comply with the regulations because if you're relying on people doing it when they arrive it's very difficult to control it whereas if you do, do it before departure and have it as a means of, of boarding the flight then it's much easier to control it. Yeah. Do we need more restrictions in general? I, I suppose a lot of people are feeling a lot of uncertainty around Christmas. I'm wondering if Neff are going to come back next week again and and possibly change everyone's plans or their idea of what Christmas could be like. Are we going to need more restrictions? Well, I think everybody wants to get back to doing sort of normal things again, and they don't want restrictions. And so there's a sort of a balancing act here between putting people at risk and getting on with life. And, you know, if, if people get mild disease and doesn't end up in hospitalization, some people might say, well, look, look, let them get it and get, it on, get over it. Um, that's one sort of um, thought on it. The other thought is we have to try and limit the spread. Unfortunately, the vaccines would be may be effective at stopping hospitalization and severe disease, but it will, it will not limit the spread because the best vaccines now are unlikely to prevent infection with even Delta, never mind Omicron. So we're not going to limit the spread of the virus solely with, with the vaccines. What we will okay. do is we but, will limit serious disease. But that, did that UK research not show that we have seven with it with a uh, a triple vaccination, we have 75% protection against any symptom, against any symptomatic disease. disease. Yeah, but not infection, not, yeah, not okay. asymptomatic. So, so we could be talking a lot of asymptomatic. Yeah, okay. Kingston Mills, uh, thank you very much for that. Um, Kingston raises an interesting point there, um, guys. Would people wear more restrictions at this point, Jim? 
Um, some people would. Some people wouldn't. Um, yeah. We've we, we've seen in the last two or three weeks, people are voluntarily restricting their activities yeah. um, without being forced to. So a, a lot of people would accept it, but there is a cohort uh, that will not accept it. And uh, Christina, do you think the government would be nervous about? Yeah. Uh, oh, the government would be nervous. Hundred percent. I think speaking to government sources throughout the last two weeks, they definitely is a feeling that they've lost the room somewhat. And that perhaps they had oversold in terms of promises of once we get here, we'll be able to do this. And once we do this, we'll be able to do that. And the public, I think they're getting a lot of backlash that people are feeling, um, I wouldn't say lied to, but perhaps frustrated that they're doing and have done everything that have been asked of them. And they continue to get restrict restrictions yeah. lobbed onto them. Um, so I think even though people know rationally, the pandemic is not the government's fault, and the fact that it keeps twisting is not the government's yeah, fault. But yeah, but I, I think we had been told early in the pandemic that the the whole aim of this was hospitalizations, uh, pressure on the health service, and as um, Kingston Mill said there, that even with this variant, we're going to have um, transmissibility even with the boosters. So that's a hard. Um, message to sell to people when you're going forward into a new year and then you're asking them to perhaps do more restrictions. People, I think, at this point now, and the government know it very well, they want to know what the end goal is here. What's what's the end game for some of these restrictions in terms of what's the point? Is there going to be another variant? Is We're going to have peaks. We're going to bring in restrictions, bring them down. And then what's the end point here? And I think the longer we go on, it's almost like when you're in, you're in the gym and you're being told, you know, just five more reps, just five more reps and you're going to yeah. get to the end and people get very tired towards the end of that. Are you getting that sense, Nina, that people, like, remember it started flattening the curve for a couple of weeks two years ago and now it's, let's get boosted, we get through Omicron, but that it's, you know, this notion of the permademic, like that this is just it. Yeah, no, I mean, I actually completely agree with Christine there. There's no appetite for more restrictions, and I think people are really going to... Um, they're not going to go with that. But I, I do think personal responsibility is something that we probably don't message enough, actually. And and also, I think the communication piece around what we're trying to achieve when we bring things in. So what are we trying to achieve by boosting people? You know, we, we can't sell it to anyone anymore. We can't say we're trying to get rid of COVID. We're not getting rid of COVID. COVID is not going away permanently. COVID is going to be there. We're living with COVID. We're trying to reduce people getting sick and, and we're trying to stop people going into hospital with COVID. And so I think if anything we bring in, anything we ask people to do, rather than saying this because we don't want this to happen, it's sort of the same as when you say to your children, you know, when you want them to do something, the positive messaging is always likely to bring people along with you. So we're hoping to achieve this and we're hoping to achieve this by doing this for X amount of weeks. So in the same way, they, they give us the modelling with the negative numbers. If we don't do this, we're going to have this many cases. If we do this, we can hope to reduce the numbers in our hospitals. I, I think the daily case numbers are something we shouldn't be focusing on so much mm. because they're not really relevant. Like we are going to have cases and we're testing testing a lot of people so we're going to find cases what we really have to say is how is this impacting on our lives um, and I think people if they actually feel that they're being included and communicated to properly that you're going to get a lot more buy-in for what we want people to do um, Christmas is a big worry there's no question about it in healthcare we are very worried about the amount of people coming home and the increased socializing that will bring I mean January of last year our first week back after Christmas we did nothing but COVID calls for the first four days people just ringing in with symptoms so as, as a GP would you say people should think twice about coming home from say the UK this Christmas 
I think that's very hard to say to people yeah. because I think people have really not seen loved ones for several years and especially when it's elderly parents that they're coming to see. You know, I get that. If you haven't seen them in two years to ask you to go another year without seeing them. I think it is really important that we try and get people to buy in with the kind of testing themselves. The ant- antigen testing is perfect for this. If you're asymptomatic, do an antigen test before you go to someone's house. Do an antigen test before you go to a restaurant. As you said, there are some yeah. people are not going to do that. But if we can get as many people as possible doing that, then we're going to be able to, I think, do, at least yeah. keep it under control. Do you know a what bit. I do think? I think people coming from the UK might be way more down with that. I than think we so. Think They're used to it. When you talk to people yeah. over there, they keep saying, but. You're not testing. We, yeah. Like mo- most people there seem to be testing themselves every day or yeah. testing themselves yeah. before they go places and all yeah. this. And, and the NHS just, is facilitating that. We, we, yeah. we, it never became a way of life over here, but yeah. it's, it's a, an absolute way of life over there. It's well, the correct. There, sorry. sorry. Yeah. There yeah. was so much negative messaging around antigen yeah. testing. And, you know, we were all part of it because we were all saying it's not for symptomatic people. And it still isn't. I would stress that if you're symptomatic, you need an PCR. But antigen is excellent for asymptomatic cases and testing yourself, meeting friends for dinner, have everyone do an antigen test before you go out. Okay, it's not very sexy, but it, it helps and yeah. it works. And yeah. I think it's one of the most Jim, serious uh, downfalls uh, is not is not subsidising them. I think the, I the call by the government not to take that leap um, into subsidising them. They would have taken a big hit, but I just think... Well, in fairness, I think what happened was that they... I, I think even the wholesalers brought down the prices at yeah. the threat of that, and it seems to have... It, the still, prices did come down to what they would say. They are still pricey enough they, for a lot of people. If you're talking to people chemist, to do yeah, three yeah. T- three times a week, it, it's, it's fine if you're a single individual. If you're talking about a family, you know, you're talking at the time when petrol prices are up, electricity prices, people are scrimping and trying to pull money back from wherever they can. And if they're told to go out and buy antigen tests, it's just not feasible for a lot of people. Yeah, okay. Yeah, the earlier question you asked me, I mean, I, I think some people, everybody's going to be pissed off if there are new restrictions implemented, but some people will accept it. Yeah. And, you know, clear. it's clear by their behaviour over the last two or three weeks, they're behaving, as I say, in a different way anyway. Yeah. But there will be a cohort that will um, totally respond negatively to it and, you yeah. know, that's accepted. But if you look at, we, we mentioned the attitude towards antigen um, and up to a couple of weeks ago, we were told don't touch antigen, basically. OK, um, we have had the same with the HEPA, the, the air ventilation system. Yeah. And um, there's a good piece in one of the papers today about schools are really annoyed at this stage. That Hang on the, a minute now. Where the, they, yeah. The in, private. In, co- the private. This is, this is in yeah. the Sunday Times by Valerie yeah. Flynn. Schools vent their feelings on, on wealth gap for HEPA Because private, private schools are able to afford to get the HEPA system in and the, the non-private schools can't afford it. Yeah. And Orla Hegarty in UCD um, and I, has been advocating this for over well but over no, a year as I at understand, this stage. It was reported in the Sunday Independent last week and I think it's in the Times are mentioning it today that, Christina, this this small, we won't get hung up on it now, but the, the small work, minor work schemes for schools, it's they are going to be... It's being expanded, yeah, yeah very late. To, to buy um, HEPA it took it's some a bit time. little... It, it's it's yeah. 40 million I think it's 15 million it was previously so it's a bit of a ramp up and yeah it seems to be an acknowledgement that HEPA filters are needed for yeah. classrooms but if you talk to any teachers I know friends of my of my own you know sitting there with their you know massive coats the masks and, and, and freezing children and it, it's just very 
too little too late, I think, in terms of the, the discussion has been going for a long time from experts. We've had the ventilation uh, government expert group have recommended it. Then we had more mixed messaging coming out from members of NEFID, um, people saying that some of their views were just defied physics in terms of the ventilation aspect yeah, of well, it. Look, and now finally uh, we have... Experts do differ. Yeah, yeah, and, but, yeah. Now but finally the government we have, seems to have just gone ahead. And done, and they want to yeah. maybe use the Christmas period to, to get that. Okay. Yeah, okay. And, and, I mean, another another issue was the attitude towards the schools. I mean, anecd- and those of us who are non-medical, most of what we pick up is kind of anecdotal, what we see out there. Yeah. And, and I've seen for some months now parents and grandparents getting COVID from their kids, bringing it home from school. But yet we were told the schools are totally safe. And suddenly in the last couple of weeks, that seems to have changed. And we're talking about vaccinating the under 12s. We're talking about mask yeah, wearing. Yeah, I think we're still saying they're not getting it in the, in the schools though in fairness and look we're not uh, we're not epidemiologists Nina, my, Nina my, you're <laughs> shaking I'm, your I'm head I'm there. laughing here because as you know Brendan I spoke to you back in September my 8 year old had Covid and he was had it at the time that any close contact was taken out of school for 10 days you know, we, we were so relieved to see, to our knowledge, not another child was infected on the back of his infection. He got sick at a weekend and we know that none of his close contacts yeah. got sick. Roll it forwards to December. He's one of about six kids left in his class. Everybody in his class is down with COVID right now. His really? two teachers were out on Friday. So this thing of not isolating them, not taking them out of the yeah. class. He's in one of these older schools where they have the windows open. So I don't know if they have the HEPA filtration, but they certainly have a lot of air circulating so in that classroom. how many kids are out in that class? I think his class is 31. And I think now you can never rely on exact numbers from yeah. an eight-year-old. But I got him counting yeah. through the room. It seemed like there were about eight or nine people in his class the last two days of okay. last week. I know a lot and of them could be close contacts as well. No, but they're not isolating close contacts. So close contacts are in school. So they're not, they're not yeah, telling them to stay home. Well, they're only, sorry, they are now yeah, yeah, in the last couple of weeks, yeah. just the people at the actual table. So, yeah. but you, a lot and, of and listen, still going in. Teachers are also operating their own unofficial, <laughs> like there's been WhatsApp contact yeah. tracing. I think there's teacher contact tracing going on as well. well not we got that, an email yeah. and, and obviously now, because there's more than two cases in this class, we've been, you're given that recommendation to do antigen testing, which we're doing, obviously. But, um, you know, in saying that, I know for a fact that a lot of his friends actually have COVID because the parents okay. are being quite transparent And is this something it. you've seen um, right through, that it is spreading in schools? Yeah, we're seeing, certainly in, in work, we're seeing a lot of parents talking about <coughs> half the class being out with COVID. Now, it is anecdotal. I don't know how scientific that is, but there are there are classrooms down, you know. <laughs> yeah. Because I think the point is that kids, yeah. they're, they're okay. on the pods, the sixth table. Yeah. But when they go out to the yard, they're yeah. playing with each other. When exactly. they're walking home, they're walking home with their friends. So... That that's the school. Yes, it, and walking home is, is an unregulated environment, unlike the school. <laughs> exactly. So clearly, it's on the walking home mm-hmm. they're they're doing it. Um, right. Uh, we'll we'll take a break and we'll get we'll get off COVID for a while. So, Dr. Nina Burns, Christina Finn, and Jim Power staying with us. Brendan O'Connor on RTE Radio One. Brendan O'Connor on RTE Radio One. Welcome back, Dr. Nina Burns, Christina Finn, and Jim Power are are still with us. I just want to say there is a deluge of messages coming in on either side of the boosters thing, right? So it's either government is doing a good job under the circumstances versus versus I haven't got my booster yet. It's a disgrace. So I think basically your point of view on this depends on whether you got your booster yet or whether you queued up and didn't get one and all of that kind of thing. But you know what? We're going to move away from all that now and we're going to focus on someone else's problems for uh, for a little while. And um, Dennis Staunton, London editor of the Irish Times. Good morning. Good morning, Brendan. Dennis, we're at, I think, six Christmas parties at Downing Street and counting at the moment. Um, uh, Keir Starmer saying this morning that Boris Johnson had broken the law. I think this is the first time people have thought 
that uh, Boris Johnson is possibly in trouble. Uh, so tell us first a, bit, a, a new picture today and pictures, video has moved this on a lot and pictures seem to be much more powerful than anything that's said. Another image today to add fuel to the, to the fire. That's right. In the Sunday Mirror, uh, Pippa Crerer, who broke the original story about the uh, Downing Street parties, uh, she's got a story with a picture which shows Boris Johnson at a desk in between two people, and he was apparently hosting uh, part of a quiz, which was a virtual quiz, uh, and so people could look at it uh, you know, in their offices or at home, and a number of them were in the office, and they were apparently gathered around computers and having drinks and looking at it. And we had heard about this before, but uh, you know, Downing Street had just said this was a virtual quiz, had never said that he was in any way involved in it. And now you see him, Boris Johnson, and two people, one on either side, and one of the guys on one side of him is wrapped in tinsel. And so it's pretty clearly a festive occasion of mm-hmm. one kind or another. And so, uh, so anyway, this is, uh, has now kind of re- you know, reignited this whole row. And as you say, this is just one of a whole succession of parties, and it's kept this story going. Okay, now Boris Johnson is on paternity leave at the moment again uh, for the seventh or eighth time, we don't know for sure. But uh, is he saying anything this morning or will he have to come out today and say something in response to this? There was some suggestion he might be out later to talk about the Omicron variant, but uh, we haven't heard anything. Uh, we in the press haven't heard, haven't been notified of any press conference or anything like that. Some of his ministers have been out kind of defending him, basically, and, and some Tory MPs saying, well, I'm not sure if this was entirely within the rules, but actually it, was, it looks like it was mostly a virtual thing and uh, people were mostly sitting at their desks and they were working anyway, so it wasn't a kind of a hanging offence. And, of course, if it was really the only one, maybe it wouldn't be, but it's because of the context that this is, uh, you know, happening within the context of a whole series of these events, one of which was a big, full-blown party with 40 or 50 people at it. Okay, so now, next week is kind of a critical week for him, isn't it? There's a few critical tests for him. Yeah, the first is on Tuesday when... There's a vote on some of these new restrictions they're bringing in. Now, they've uh, brought in what they call Plan B, which is, by Irish standards, a very mild set of restrictions, so that it means that you now have to wear face masks in most indoor settings, but not in bars or restaurants. You will have to show vaccine passports to get into nightclubs and venues with more than 500 people. And this has gone down very badly with a large section of Conservative MPs, and 67 of them so far have said they're going to vote against the vaccine passports. Now, he's going to be okay because uh, Labour will support the measures, but it's still a bad look to have to pass legislation on, uh, on opposition votes. And this whole uh, business about the parties is feeding into this uh, discontent on his backbenches about the whole idea of further restrictions. And that's one, uh, you know, one moment that he's going to have on Tuesday. And then the next and then on Thursday, by-election on Thursday. Which is the North Shropshire by-election. This was a, a by-election caused by the resignation of Owen Patterson, the former Northern Ireland secretary who got into trouble over sleaze. He's gone. It's a 27,000 majority, a leave-voting rural seat, never voted for anybody except a Conservative, and the Tories are actually worried about losing it. Even if they don't lose it and they do very badly, it's going to cause huge jitters among MPs who've got much smaller majorities than that. Okay, and I suppose that, that losing that would, would or, or doing badly in it would hit at 
isn't the kind of central reason that a lot of the Tories keep supporting Boris Johnson is that, oh, he's a great campaigner and he'll win elections for us. And I suppose that, that could that be the thing that actually could be the tipping point for him? That's exactly right. And in fact, I was talking to, uh, you know, the other week to um, a couple of conservative ministers, and I was putting it to, the, to them that actually, if you look at the polls, Boris Johnson is actually a net liability. But I was saying, but you don't see it like that. And they said, no, we don't. Because as one of them said, there are some politicians who are interested in governing and very good at it. He's obviously not one of them. But there are some who are great campaigners, and they would much prefer to go into a campaign with them in front. And the other thing that's keeping him there is that he won that 80-seat majority in 2019 by creating a new coalition of voters behind the Conservatives, some traditional ones down in the southeast, and then these new voters who used to vote Labour in uh, the north of England and the Midlands. And it's not quite clear that any of the potential rivals to succeed him could actually hold that coalition together as well as he has so far. Okay, so Dennis, in a nutshell, do you think he's really in trouble this time or will he uh, brazen it out again? He's definitely in trouble. Uh, whether he can brazen it out or not, who knows. What he was going to be hoping is that if he gets to the end of this coming week, then Parliament goes into recess for Christmas. Maybe people are going to have to uh, talk about other things. The trouble he's got is that the Omicron variant keeps coronavirus in the news. That keeps him in the news and it keeps parties in the news. OK, Dennis Daunton of the Irish Times, thank you very much for that. Um, Christina, we, we have our own uh, politics still beavering away in the background here so there are two polls today mm-hmm. and and look there's one key trend in them for starters which is not uh, it's not going away yeah i suppose it's the runaway train that is the Sinn Féin polling numbers again the um business uh, behavior and attitudes poll putting them at 34% um so That's well in the, the behavior and attitudes in the sunday times yeah, and yeah. It's, so they're well clear of Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael so this has been obviously uh, ongoing for a, a long time now in terms of the poll numbers and the daily mail also has an irish thinks poll that has um Mary Lou will be the next Taoiseach and is putting Sinn Féin at 31% that is a fall of of one point but again um well above of of Fianna Gael and, and Fianna Fáil uh, respectively um Definitely. Yeah, and that's a majority, 40, 45%. But when you take out the don't knows, it's a majority believe that Mary Lou MacDonald will be the next teacher. Yeah, and it's definitely yeah. a big concern, I think, within the, the coalition um, parties at this stage because there doesn't seem to be much they can do wrong um, in terms of, of stopping um, the polling numbers going up. I suppose Michal Martin has something um, to take comfort in heading into Christmas that the, the government satisfaction and the behaviour and attitudes poll is up to, uh, 2% and his personal satisfaction Satisfaction is up um, one one point forty two percent. So he is uh, gaining a bit more um, satisfaction amongst, yeah. amongst and, the public. And we should there. point out though that just it, it proves the point that these are just opinion polls mm-hmm. and they're not fact. Yeah, well, we're is a long that way. Fianna Fáil is up three in behaviour and attitudes to twenty three. It's ahead of Fine Gael by three. Fine Gael down one at twenty. But if you go to the Ireland Thinks poll mm-hmm. in the Mail, Fine Gael is at twenty five. A full eight points ahead of Fianna Fáil who are in at eight. So, so I mean, the Sinn Féin trend is indisputable, Jim, but I guess the, the, the Fianna Fáil, Fine Gael position is kind of <clears throat> unclear. Yeah, I mean, it, it strikes me, particularly the Irish Times, MRBI last Friday, uh, 50% of people aged between 24 and 39 are going to vote Sinn Féin. What do they have in common? They are the ones that are most affected by the housing crisis, be it rental or owner-occupier housing. Okay, and housing, I think, I've always believed the next election would be 
um, won or lost on the housing market and government is not making much progress in solving it okay and here again we have a massive communications problem with all sorts of different housing policies coming out but it is clear that the housing crisis will not be solved before the next election so that's a huge problem no they and seem to believe that they will they have three years to put a dent in it yeah, and, but, and but, that but, they will do that and and starts are up again this year and they're they, yeah but, but, but like Brian Carey uh, has an interesting piece in the Sunday Times today about a building provider one of the big ones has messaged all of its customers that from January 1st there's going to be a significant increase in various materials used in the construction industry cement up 11% yeah. uh, bathroom equipment up 10% and so all this, that stuff is already up a lot anyway it, it is it? already absolutely so the cost of build is going to increase dramatically um, and that then obviously will feed into prices and that then in turn hugely damages the affordability issue so I, I just don't see the housing crisis being solved in the next three years. I think that's a huge problem for government, I have to say. And um, it's it's young people and you talk to them. Here we go anecdotally again, but you talk to young people. Housing is what it's about. But I also think uh, what we discussed earlier on about COVID and the whole confusion around communication. Um, you know, the Minister for Health, I would say, is not doing too many favours for government in terms of communication exercise. Okay. So and it's all feeding That in. can turn around very of course quickly. It can. As we know, there was a lot of dissatisfaction at the beginning of the vaccine rollout. And then in the end, I think a lot of people kind of agreed it was a bit of a triumph and we did we did very well in the end. So they could turn... They yeah, but that didn't really around. reflect in the polls. I mean, Sinn Féin So continued. they get no thanks, but they do get blamed. Exactly. That that's basically it. Yeah. I think Martin is in a sticky position because uh, let's not forget he's going to be rotating out of the Taoiseach's position and Leo Varadkar will be going into it. So is Leo Varadkar going to be sort of coming in at the good times again? He he yeah. was kind of a, he went out mm. at, at sort of a, a good time for him and Michal Martin had to come in and close the, the things down and is this going to be another rough year heading into the springtime and then perhaps when Leo Radker takes over is it going to be a bit more of a positive attitude coming into 2022 so yeah. that's all to play for because obviously the general election is, is, is a long way off and a lot of things can happen in between then. Absolutely. Nina? So I suppose, you know, the polls, it's very easy to to gain popularity in opposition at the moment because I think there's so much to be angry about. And I I think particularly that young population, I totally agree with Jim, it is about accommodation and housing. And they see people, what they see, arguing their corner. So they're going to side with them. We're pack animals. We side with the people who we agree with. So I I do agree. I think that the housing crisis is one of the the only ways this government can turn around some of those polls. Okay. And they need to improve things for people. And you know, how you bring that crowd back on side because Sinn Féin are excellent in opposition. Unfortunately, I don't know, have we many of their actual policies in front of us in, in a way that we can actually follow the numbers to how it's going to make a difference. But the, the young people voting for them, they're not thinking about that. They're seeing people saying, we're going to do this for you. They're not so much listening to how it's going to be done. Yeah, yeah I, 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 it's a, like in a yeah. sense there is an, almost this is an inevitability that needs to play itself out. Well, I, I think so, because one of the big economic stories here last week, and it's a global one, is inflation. You know, we're at the highest le- level of inflation since June 2001. And within that, you know, rents were up another 8.1%. And that's coming on top of massive growth since 2011, actually. So, you know, that that's feeding. And then there's the whole cost of living issue. Um, most of it outside of con- is outside of the control of government. It's external factors are driving it, energy particularly. Yeah. But still, it's just feeding into this general negative narrative. And I think Darrell O'Brien in housing... 
um, is an example of when in opposition you can promise everything, you're going to solve the problem, okay? But when you get into government, it's a different issue. Sinn Féin will find the same thing. You know, I think they will be in the next government and then the delivery will okay. prove much and more Sinn difficult. Sinn Féin are very good at hammering home the message of rent. I'm a renter myself. Um, mm, so I yeah. think the government uh, coalition parties, they're talking about supply, supply, and that they think that will knock on effect in terms of affordability and that people want to own their homes. But there are a lot of people that are still renting right now, myself being one of them that is looking for solutions okay. in the short mm. term and I just don't think the immediate urgency of that you know I'm, I'm someone who's you're, moved you're not feeling it anyway moved yeah. out of the city centre out to Mead you know this year given the level of rents that were um, going up and up okay. so you know if, if someone like myself is finding it difficult to find a decent accommodation at a good price I'm sure there's plenty of other people in, in the same boat as me yeah yeah and people with um, who would have good professional jobs and think that they should be able to afford to live in the city that they're they're working in. And the polls would show that most of us who are happy with the performance of government at some level I'm talking generically now, yeah. are those that own their houses. They're, they're a very privileged class relative to the younger people. And there are a lot of them. There so let's never forget that. Yes. And, and look, nothing is inevitable no. and we're very far out from an election. OK, I have to take a quick break. Nina Burns, Christina Finn and Jim Parr staying with us. Text 51551. Brendan O'Connor on RTE Radio 1. Brendan O'Connor on RTE Radio 1. Welcome back. Nina Burns, Christina Finn and Jim Power still with us. Um, Nina, I wanted to ask you about Tony O'Brien has a piece in the Sunday Business Post today, or the Business Post, and I thought it was quite a poignant piece. He's, he, knew, he knows five people who died during the pandemic, but who would not be included in the death toll from COVID. But they died uh, tangentially to it all and everything, but um, but they died because of the pandemic. Yeah, I thought you could really feel the emotion reading that piece. And Tony is a very calm communicator, you know, he's he's so to, to read that, you could see the emotion behind the lines. Mm. Um, and I think the statements he made are very true. And, you know, I, I think they're the numbers that we're not talking about, the people who are having delayed treatment or who aren't able to access emergency care when they need to. You know, we all heard the story of that transplant patient who did not get their transplant because there was no ICU bed. Those are cases we, we don't hear about enough. And that's a whole other cohort of people affected by COVID. Yeah. I thought it was quite interesting reading his article and then comparing it to Ailish O'Hanlon's article in the Irish in, in the Sunday Independent where she spoke about vilifying the unvaccinated. Um, and I, while I agree with her to a certain extent, you know, we shouldn't insist on people being vaccinated. She sort of, um, I think, stated in it that, um, you know, we don't vilify people who are alcoholics or drug addicts or obese. But, but I would almost argue, you know, as, as a healthcare worker and, and reading what Tony said and knowing that to be true, that there are so many things that aren't happening because of COVID, is it's not the same to say when someone makes a decision not to get vaccinated, it's the same as someone who can't stop drinking or can't stop overeating or who has other medical issues, because obviously those things require a lifetime of motivational change. You can't suddenly get up and not be an alcoholic. Whereas you can actually go in and get your vaccine and be covered. Like it's, it's a much more simple decision. So, so are you saying, do you think we're tiptoeing around the people who are not getting vaccinated? No, look, a lot of people are not getting vaccinated for very valid reasons yeah. and, and health reasons and all well, kinds well, of things. But do you think we tiptoe around it a bit? 
So I believe in personal choice. I don't believe we can we can force people to be vaccinated. I make that, you know, I believe that very strongly healthcare decisions are a choice, but there is a personal responsibility to making certain choices. I do believe that it is, you know, certainly if my mother is being cared for by a carer, I would like to know at least that I have the option to have someone who's vaccinated come as her carer. I've had stories with patients who unbeknownst to themselves, found out several weeks later that one of their elderly, vulnerable parents was being cared for by somebody who was unvaccinated and they were really unhappy about that. So I I think people have a right to know if they have vulnerable members of their family exposed to people who are unvaccinated. I think they have a right to know that. It doesn't mean that person has to be named and shamed, but I do think we have a right to know that. I do, I agree with having to show vaccine passports to go to places that are high risk. And I know I might not be popular saying that, but this is about keeping our population, vulnerable population safe and keeping our health system functioning. That's the core of it. Our health system cannot cope with huge numbers. Okay, Dr. Nina Burns, thank you very much. Uh, Christina Finn, thank you. And Jim Power, thank you. And we're just coming up to 12 noon and we'll go to the newsroom and Carla O'Brien.